0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. To 2 Corinthians chapter 9 for me, please. We're going to wrap up our study. We've been doing it for the last five weeks. This will be week five. We'll wrap up our study on money. I must admit, too, as I step into the pulpit tonight and as I uh, prepare to preach this to you guys, like I feel like I'm kind of excited on one side to finish up the series. There's one part of me that's there after five weeks of just soaking throughout the week in uh, this topic of money, um, how, do we, how, do we, uh, how do we love God instead of loving money, how do we serve God with our money, how do we seek the Lord with everything we've got. Um, how do we live a life that mirrors God's generosity in the way that we be generous as well? And then as we land into the topic of this week, and we're going to talk real specifically about giving. And so as we kind of close the door on this series, at the, at the back end of it, I, I feel on one side like I'm stoked to finish it. On another side, I feel super blessed for the opportunity to have studied this and to have preached through this five-week series. And then on the other side of it, just be real gut-level honest, as I step into the pulpit tonight, I feel like, I feel like uh, maybe the topic of tonight's message and the passage that we're going to be looking at, I'm having personally, I'm having a real hard time connecting with it. And so I almost feel, I almost feel like, uh, uh, is this really going to do us good tonight as we look at this passage? That's where I'm feeling. So feelings are subjective. Objectively, I look at this. This is God's Word. God's Word speaks to us. Our hearts need to hear from Him. I I realize that the topic of money is not just a difficult topic to talk about and not just a difficult topic to preach on. But then, if you try to close the door on a series like this talking about giving specifically and not just generosity like we did last week, because you can talk about being generous. And, and, and maybe that feels a little bit easier. When you talk about just giving specifically, I, maybe, maybe it's just a little bit of angst inside of me and maybe a little insecurity inside of me as I begin to look at the text. And so I just kind of want to get all that on the table and just say, really glad to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour and a half with you studying through. <laughs> you guys are laughing. We're moving somewhere. First you wouldn't scratch each other's backs and now you'll laugh a little bit. This is good. We're moving. We're getting there. Jesus, please captivate their attention and help us to hear from God's word this evening, (laughs) right? Uh, uh, The other thing is this, that even as you listen to like the gospel stories around the room this evening, I'm just aware of a lot of needs uh, in in our midst. I'm aware of of a lot of needs. All of us come really super needy um, as it pertains to God's word. We need Jesus and we need to hear from his word on a weekly basis. And I, and I think what happens in our lives throughout the week is I think kind of this spiritual and uh, kind of a subjective um, sense of a kind of a, a combativeness towards, uh, towards us in our need. For from God's word. In other words, I think there's many distractions. I think that there are many uh, competitors, if you will, to us being fed wholesomely. It's kind of like I want you to picture maybe a kid sitting at a table with a good meal in front of him. Okay, so like, I was playing a game with charity last night, and and uh, it was called Pictionary. I, 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 don't, I don't really play Pictionary very often, but um, but we're drawing pictures on the whiteboard of different things, and the one thing I drew was a plate with a T-bone steak and a roll. And some macaroni and cheese and a fork and a knife. And she's looking at this, and she's going, what is that? Is it a gun? And I'm like, no, that's a T-bone steak. Okay? If that was real in front of us, we'd be scarfing this thing down. And my point is this. I think we have a tendency sometimes to arrive at the preaching of God's word a little bit like a kid sitting at a table looking at a plate full of delicious food and not knowing what to do with it. Okay? And so I want to do everything I can on the front edge of this to to shake us out of our slumber, to shake us out of our distraction, to shake us out of the things that, that we are looking at in front of us that maybe cause us to feel insecure or fearful or the things that we are in need of, because as we come to God's Word, God's Word is complete. God's Word is more than adequately sufficient to paint the picture of Jesus for us, and Jesus is complete. Jesus is the sustenance and the sufficiency that all of us need. So, as we begin to talk about what it looks like to be a people who are a giving people, a people who are ready to give, a people who understand uh, the importance of what it means to be a giving people, as well as kind of land on the back end of this at the very tail end, looking at the results of what our giving looks like, I want us to understand this that you cannot outgive the grace of God. You cannot outgive the picture of God giving his son on the cross. You cannot. So, if there is any message that I hope that we leave here hearing tonight, is that Jesus is enough. God has given more than you and I can ever give, and he's given so much that that picture of his inexperience inexpressible gift as we'll read here in a moment inexpressible meaning inexhaustible we cannot exhaust the grace of God he's given so much he's such a good giver that if you and I as we walk in tonight feeling weak feeling maybe empty feeling maybe distracted maybe feeling poor in spirit as the scriptures say I don't know what you walk in here feeling like tonight, but as you walk in here, if there's one clear message, I want to pound home. I'll mess up the rest of this message. I guarantee you that's the way I'm going to walk out of here tonight feeling like I'm going to mess this up. And I'll tell you why. I didn't have the adequate time to study this this week. And so I'm not coming in resting on me, right? I'm coming in resting on God, and God's probably going to preach his own powerful message, and I'm going to go home kicking myself in the butt like you should have studied more. That sucked, blah, blah, but here's the deal. like We all might feel this way in different ways. Big picture, I want you to remember. If I blow everything else completely tonight, remember. The picture of what Jesus gave on the cross for you and for I is more than adequate enough for any season of our lives. Anybody say amen? Hey, Father, Father, we just need to be awakened this evening. Lord, our hearts need to be awakened to our uh, our insufficiency without you. Our hearts need to be awakened, Lord God, to our deep and desperate need for you. It's as though, Lord God, our hearts can just fall into a slumber throughout the week and that we can forget to be ready to hear from your word and forget to be ready to be in your presence and forget to be ready to to have pictures painted in front of us by the power of your spirit and the preaching of your word of how good and sufficient you are. So awaken our hearts, Lord God, to our need for you. Awaken our hearts, Lord God, to hear from you. Awaken our hearts, Lord God, to yearn for you, to desire you. Awaken our hearts, Lord God, to sense your presence and to desire your presence and to cry out even inside for you to be near. God, I pray that you would remove any hindrances from us. Remove any hindrances that have captured our minds. Remove any hindrances that have captured our hearts, Lord God. Remove anything that hinders us hearing from you and remove anything that hinders us catching a greater and much bigger and much grander picture and much more big giving picture of who you are. God, we need you. Help us to see our need for you. Help us to understand how great and generous of a giving God that you are. Help us to hear from your Word. In Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. "Amen." Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses one through fifteen. Paul says this. Verse one. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be, otherwise... If some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever so sparingly, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the Gospel of Christ and the generosity Of your contribution for them and for all others. Well, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. (coughs) So, as we dive into this passage, this evening and we think about last week's passage we studied through 2nd corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 15 we skipped the tail end of that chapter and dove right into chapter 9 verses 1 through 15 this week, and, and really, so that you know, all that we're skipping is Paul's commendation of Titus. As you look at your Bibles, you'll notice in chapter 8, verses uh, 16 through roughly 24, you'll notice that that's really what we're skipping. Is basically, the Apostle Paul, after verses 1 through 15 of chapter 8, after he says, hey, I want you guys to give generously, and here are the things that should motivate you to be generous in your giving after he says those things, then basically what Paul is doing is he, in those final verses of chapter 8, he's basically giving his commendation of Titus to say, I'm sending Titus to come collect this offering from you. And as he comes, just know like he's a good fella, He's a good guy. Ever watch all those mob movies. If you're as quirky as I am and you like old mob movies, it's kind of that way. It's a good fella. He's coming to you. He's a good guy. You can trust him. And then in chapter 9, verses one Through 15, Paul begins to break down what it looks like to be people who are ready to give. He breaks down the importance of why we should be a people who give. And then towards the tail end of the last five verses, he kind of unpacks the results of our giving. Just to kind of tease out your mind a little bit, I want you to remember what Paul is talking about. Here's, Here's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, you need to come to my church, you need to give 10%, 15, 20. He's not saying that. This is not what Paul is preaching. Paul is not necessarily preaching about the normal giving that uh, that was expected in the Old Testament from people who called themselves part of the family of God. What he's actually talking about in these passages is an extra offering that the churches have agreed to give to relieve the suffering of saints who were living in areas where the economy was falling to pieces. In fact, most people believe that this offering was going to be going back to the Jerusalem church at Jerusalem to relieve the immense amount of ministry that needed to take place there. In chapter 8, the Apostle Paul uses the... Uh, um, the picture of the Macedonian church that gave tremendously. They gave beyond their means. In fact, they actually, it actually, Paul actually says that they begged to give more. What he's asking the churches to do is to give over and above the normal that God had asked of them. Now, I'm gonna stop for a minute and pause and talk about the whole principle of the tithe for a minute. And you might write this down and think about this. A Charles Stanley, whom uh, who, who I appreciate as a preacher. Uh, wrote a book, and one of the things that he said in his book on money is that, um, is that tithing, as you look at the idea behind giving 10 percent of what God gives you, tithing, what we have a tendency to see it as that 10 percent, we have a tendency to see that as a goal to be reached. So I'm going to start at one percent, I'm going to move on to two percent, move on to three percent. And the reality is the average of all Christians in America give roughly three percent, far less than the standard that God set all throughout the Old Testament. The idea throughout Scripture, if you think of this as less law and more gospel or good news, would be this. A, you cannot give God. B, what Charles Stanley kind of uh, posits for us is this idea that 10% tithe is really training wheels for generosity. So the idea would be this. If the church uh, universally throughout America is giving roughly 3%, we haven't even gotten the training wheels off our bikes yet. We're still riding bikes with training wheels in terms of generosity. Now, some of us may say, well, but I gave money down. I did, uh, yeah, uh, that's fine. I'm just saying, I think if we do a study of the entirety of Scriptures all the way through, I think you'll find that I think that principle is, is pretty, pretty straightforward. This is not what Paul's talking about. And in fact, another thing to talk about in terms of our giving, because a lot of people's minds automatically go to tithing. You can look all over the place throughout the Scriptures and throughout the New Testament portion of the scriptures uh, especially, um, there, there's, there's nothing said about tithing necessarily, other than Jesus speaking in the gospel saying, hey, hey, when you give your tithes, and when you pray, and when you fast, don't do it so that everybody else can see you doing it. And one thing Jesus doesn't say is don't tithe. He also doesn't say don't pray, and he also doesn't say don't fast. Here's something else he doesn't say. He also doesn't say Go tithe, go pray, go fast. Why why does Jesus not lean one way or the other? You think about this. When Jesus is teaching that in the gospels, he's teaching us don't do these religious things, there's the religious practices merely To get accolades from others seeing us doing it. Doesn't mean you don't have to, doesn't mean that it's not okay to put your name on an envelope and say, here's how much I gave this week, please track this, help me stay accountable. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with not doing it either. Like there's freedom in the gospel. That's why I said, law or gospel, as you begin to look at this principle of giving, tithing, all those principles, what Jesus doesn't do and what the apostles don't do is they never come straight out and say, hey, by the way, now that the Old Testament times are gone and Jesus has died on the cross and we're in the New Testament, the Old Testament no longer applies, so you no longer have to give. They don't say that. They also don't come out of the gate saying, hey, let me preach tithing to you either. So, so, so because of that, we're, going to, we're just going to preach on giving and what it looks like because that's what Paul talks about. I say all that by way of leading in. Hopefully that kind of releases maybe some of the shackles, maybe some of the legalistic teaching you may have heard okay? and want you to know that we're not going to be legalistic about that. My hope is this. My hope is that all of us are giving more than 10%, that at some point we all would ride the bike of generosity without training wheels. That's, that's my hope. That's my hope, my prayer for us as a church because what that would tell me is that then as a church, at least there's a piece of us and a part of us that is growing in maturity. We're not making excuses. We're not in bondage anymore, so on and so forth. So that's kind of my little bit of lead in as we look at this. So as Paul is talking, he's talking to churches that he's asked for an offering from over and above what they would normally give so that the suffering of other people It would be helped. When you think about the church in Jerusalem, this must have been a large church compared to small-town Corinth or small-town Macedonia, right? This would be very similar to one of the larger churches that support us from the Lincoln area, from the Omaha area. Those of you that know those stories... Very similar as if some cataclysmic event happened, some tsunami happened in Omaha and didn't hit us. I don't know how that would happen, but if you think about it, some cataclysmic event happened in Lincoln or Omaha, and suddenly the people in those churches that had been supporting us, helping to plant this church here, Somehow they had a financial need, and us as a small church, we came together, and we began to say, hey, we've got our bills covered, our normal expenses covered, so that our church can do good, wholesome gospel ministry in our community. Now there's an opportunity for us to receive financial aid back to the larger churches that have helped to plant us. That's who Paul is talking to. He's speaking to us, literally, quite literally, if we had that situation arise. And I think, as a pastor, what I want more than anything else, and, and this is not for me so that I look cool or so that, so that our, our church reaches that place of sustainability and, you know, Joe gets famous, none of that. It, it's really that I just want us to get there so that we could be this kind of blessing. Because if one of those large churches called us right now and asked for some of that kind of help, uh, we could take up an offering. But we, it's not like we're sitting on an abundance of wealth in our bank account whereby when something uh, fell off, the like the wheels fell off the bus for something like that, we could just generously go, yeah, yeah, we're sitting on enough where we can help you. I want us to be there. And so that's been part of the motivation behind putting this series together. And it's part of the motivation for landing on this final topic of giving. Big idea. You can write this down. God calls us to be people who are ready to give. I got 25 minutes to blow through this, right? You guys are going to love this. God calls us to be people who are ready to give, ready to give, and, and, and to be people who understand the importance of our giving as well as we are called to be people who understand the results or the outcome or the produce of of what our giving returns like what's the return on the investment those are the kind of the three big topics we're going to work together in verses one through five god calls us to be people who are ready to give what paul does is this he he explains what it looks like he paints a picture of what it looks like to be people who are ready to give when he says this he says it is superfluous underline that word superfluous What what a what a crazy word It is superfluous. I mean, I don't know how many of us, like the next time you greet somebody, it is superfluous for me to shake your hand and give you a hug. What does he even mean? What is, it's stupid. That's what it means. It's stupid. Superfluous is like a stupid word that means stupid. And the reason I say it is because it's a really big word, and and Paul loves to use big words, and so do I sometimes, but you're never gonna, you're not gonna catch me using the word, it is superfluous for us to vacuum the floor today. Paul is saying, it is stupid, superfluous for me to write you, to write to you about the ministry for the saints, because I know you're ready. I know of your readiness. I know it. I'm I'm, I'm totally confident that you are ready. It's unnecessary for me to write about this again. That's what Paul is saying. But the funny thing is, is that Paul starts in verse 1 about this, and 15 verses later, the dude's still ranting. Sound familiar? Yeah. What he's saying is he's saying, hey, it's not necessary for me to write to you guys about being ready to give because I already know that you're ready I already have confidence that you are ready I have confidence that the Holy Spirit has already made you ready I can say the same thing about you guys as a church family I've tracked with us as we've done the last four weeks I've tracked where we're at I've tracked our gospel communities and our studies I've tracked the conversations God is like creating a readiness, I think, in all of us to kind of make up the core of this church, what it means to be people who give. So I could, I could say the same thing as Paul. What, what Paul is almost saying is that it's almost excessive for him. And maybe that's what I was saying as I led in tonight, is it almost felt excessive for me to preach this yet again for a fifth week. It almost feels excessive, unnecessary, unneeded, almost stupid almost feel stupid, like, like should we, do we really need to be here this week? The answer is yes, because the Apostle Paul is there. God took him there. It's God's word, and we plan to be there, so this is where we're headed, right? Superfluous. The idea behind this is that people who are ready to give do not need to be reminded. Paul says, hey, I don't need to remind you. You're already ready. You're already ready, so it's superfluous, stupid, unnecessary, excessive, for me to remind you I have no need to remind you to be ready because you are ready question we should ask is is that us is that is that who we are is that where our hearts are Are we ready to be givers Apostle Paul continues and he says this is I know I know of your readiness I know of your readiness which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia remember Macedonia being super poor church even though they were unwealthy they still begged to give over and above what they were able to give they, were, they weren't allowing their poorness and their neediness to become an excuse if you remember right I know of your readiness which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia which is a part of the Corinthian area saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and the idea behind what Paul is saying about the Corinthians is this Hey, I know you guys have been ready since last year. And if you remember last week as we looked at chapter 8, it's, it's I know that you were ready. You desired. The desire was there. So, so what Paul says, I know you've been ready in terms of your desires. But you didn't have it yet. You didn't have it stored up. So for, for the last year you've been ready. So I've been boasting about this. And my boasting about you has actually stirred up most of them. says, He has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Paul is simply saying that he knows the Corinthian church has been ready to give financial support for nearly a year. And this has led the Apostle Paul to boast and to brag to the other churches about the Corinthians' readiness and their zeal and their desire. He's been bragging about them, and because of that, he's, he's motivated other people to give as well. Regardless of what the Apostle Paul thought or knew, He still continues belaboring the point, right? He still continues to uh, press this point. He says, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. He's saying, hey, uh, we're sending some guys ahead with this letter in hand and as they come, I want to ensure that not only is the desire there as it was a year ago, but I want to make sure that they're is actually something to collect. That there's something for you to give. Have You actually made yourselves ready. He says, I'm saying to brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. What Paul is saying is that even though it may appear that he is belaboring the point excessively or unnecessarily, it's still important for him to write to them about this. It's still important for him to write to them about being a people who are ready to give. Because he wants them to understand the seriousness of their being ready. It's important that you and I are ready. I want you to think about this like a date. Think about this like you're getting ready to go on a date with someone and you show up. So, so maybe it's the guy and he's showing up to pick up the gal and he's still waiting an hour later for her to get ready. <laughs> Wasn't ready. This is not a place any of you ladies want to be in, correct? <laughs> the same would go the other way. You've got to be Ready? Ready to give. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He wants to be assured. People who are ready to give are serious about their commitments. This is a commitment that the Corinthian church had made. Paul is saying it's important that you take this seriously. Continues his explanation of what it looks like, be people who are ready to give, by saying this. says, yeah, I thought it necessary. Oh, wait a minute. He just said superfluous a little bit ago. Unnecessary. Now he uses basically the same word, necessary. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is that being ready to give looks like us being willing and not like a collection. This is part of the reason that we don't pass the collection plate. It's part of the reason that we leave a box in the back so that you are able to give as you are willing and able to do. We feel like passing a plate feels like mob boss coming around and collecting dues. We don't don't want to be that kind of church. So that's why we leave it in the back. The Apostle Paul would simply say that if we are ready to give, we would do this willingly rather than begrudgingly. It's It's the concept of us being willing and desirous and able to give Rather than doing it because it's like another bill that has to be paid, if we just give begrudgingly, we are not mirroring the picture of the gospel where God willingly gave his son on the cross for each and every one of us. God calls us to be people who are ready to give, to be people who understand the importance of our giving, and to be people who understand the results of our giving. Look at verses 7 through 10. Verses 7 through 10, God calls us to be people who understand the importance of our giving. Paul explains the reasons why our giving is so important when he says, he says hey, the point is this. The point is this. He's like, I've been saying all this stuff that I actually started out by saying was really unnecessary and excessive to then land here and say, hey, the point is this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. In other words, when Paul says the point is this? He's saying, Look, it's unnecessary for me to continue to tell you about the necessity of giving because I know that you're ready to give. But the reason I'm pressing this point, the reason I'm pressing the point, of the reason that this is so important for you to hear is that when you give, it's like being a farmer who sows seed in his field. It's a picture, if you remember, if you go back to the Gospels, it's a picture of the sower and the seed, right? Some seed falls on good earth. Some of it falls, falls on rocky ground. Some of it grows up real quick, gets burned up and dies. Some of it gets picked up by the birds and carried away. It's a picture of that same story that we know of. It's really leading us into a picture of God. Why is this important? Why is it so important that we would talk about giving? It's a picture of God and his generous act of sowing the gospel into each and every one of our hearts to have the opportunity to respond to that good news. It's a picture of a God who did not hold anything back. He did not reap sparingly. He, he, he did not sow sparingly. He sowed bountifully. Paul's not teaching that we should give to get, though simply reminded us that when we give we will receive a return on our investment. I could think of no better place to invest our treasure than in the kingdom of God. One of the reasons why our giving is so important is because we reap what we sow. Notice notice that Paul also says that our giving is important because each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion <coughs> for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says the point is this like it was important for the Corinthian church to give because it's a matter of personal commitment. It's a matter of personal commitment from deep within your heart. It has to be decided deep within every one of our hearts. It's an individual decision for the good of community, for the picture of the gospel, for the glory of God, as we'll get to here in just a little bit. It's a matter of personal decision that will either flow out in like reluctant or compulsive giving or cheerful giving, which then reflects the heart of God. God was not reluctant when He poured His Son out on your mind's behalf. God was not compulsive in His giving of His Son either, yet you and I, we struggle with compulsive spending or compulsive giving or reluctant giving or even reluctant spending. The picture of us as cheerful givers is a picture of the heart of God who cheerfully and lovingly and willingly poured out His Son on our behalf. And the reason that That our giving is important is because it's a reflection of the decisions of our heart in light of God's love. So what Paul doesn't want is he doesn't want the Corinthians to miss the point that the reason that their giving was so important was because in reality their giving was all about God. It was all about God and all about their belief in God, all about their struggle to believe in God. The reality for you and I is that our struggle to believe that God is sufficient enough or good enough. Our struggle to believe that is evidenced by our struggle in in giving. Paul says, "And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times." You catching those big words? All sounds like a small word, but it's a small word with huge meaning. When you read that word in the text, you have to stop for a minute and think, what's Paul talking about? God is able to make all grace, not just a little bit of grace, all grace. God is the keeper of all grace that is abounding towards you and I in the cross of Christ. At all times. God is able to make all grace, not just a little So they're having all sufficiency, not just a little sufficiency, in all things, not just a few things, not just a few areas of your life where he thinks that you need a little grace, in all things, at all times, not just sometimes when you're good enough, all the time, God is able to make all grace in all things abound, in all sufficiency towards you and I. It says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. All grace is not just a little bit of grace. I don't know how to paint that picture bigger for you so that it captures your attention more. All, not just a little. God is all-sufficient for our every need. God is able to fix all things. God is, God is at work all times. It's this picture of God as our all-in-all all that enables Paul to say that we can abound in every good work. We can excel at Every good work, especially the good work of giving generously, because God has already excelled at every good work in us. God has distributed freely, or He's given generously to us without writing us a bill. God didn't write you and I a bill for all the things that he gave you and I in fact in fact God gave generously freely to us and then he went and paid the bill through the cross of Christ The righteousness that God extends to each of us is without charge While he pays the bill it lasts forever His goodness and his righteousness never ends His love is abounding. It never ends. What God makes right through the shed blood of Jesus Christ is never in danger of being made crooked again. Like your life and my life may have a sense of crookedness some days. What He makes right in each and every one of us is made straight once and for all. It never changes. God is all-sufficient. He supplies everything we need. He works at all times. In fact, it is God who supplies the food of His Word. He supplies the seeds of the Gospel. It is God who multiplies His own investment through the Gospel so that the harvest of godliness continues to grow in and through each of us. One of the reasons why our giving is so important is because our giving is a reflection of what we actually believe about God. Do you believe that God is enough? Do you believe that He is sufficient enough? Do you believe that He has made all grace abound to you? Are you still working to prove your goodness to Him? It calls us to be people who are ready to give, to be people who understand the importance of our giving, be people who understand the results of our giving. In verses 11-15, in these final five verses, God calls us to be people who understand the results or the outcome or the product or the produce of our giving. Paul tells the Corinthians that their giving will result in them being enriched in every way. How many of you guys would like to be rich? If you think about this? How many of us would like to be rich? There is a concept in this final portion of scriptures as we read through it that I want you to remember in case I don't say it again. And when you and I wrestle with the concept of wanting to have more money and wanting to be more rich, the only reason that God would give you or I more money is so that we can give more money away, so that He can then give us more money, so that we can give more money away. That's really the pattern that we see in Scripture, is that we're to give The more that we get, not to give to get more. I mean, Think about just the subtle nuance of this and the way that we think. We we don't think this way. We're always striving to get more, to earn more, to make ourselves seem better, more valuable, more worthwhile. But in God and in Christ and the gospel, in the picture of the cross, what we see is that our value is found in Him, not in anything we can do or earn. Paul tells the Corinthians their giving will result in them being enriched in every way. Enriched in every way. This is a result. This is a result of giving. That as we give, God enriches us in every way. He doesn't just fill our bank account, but He enriches you in every way. This is what what receiving all grace in, in the gospel results in. Being enriched in every way. To be... He says, to be generous in every way, not just financially, but to be generous in every way with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Which then through us, he says, through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is one other thing that is produced in our giving is that thanksgiving is given to God by others. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, That's another return on investment that as you and I give, one of the results is the supplying of the needs of other people around us. It's not only the needs of the saints, Paul says, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is a picture that as you and I give, we are enriched to give more. We are given more to be more generous so that the attention is brought to God because of his generous giving towards us. We are being a reflection, a mirror reflection of the generous giving of our Father in heaven. This is like the central theme of all the scriptures that when you and I were created, we were created in the image of God. But that image was cracked. like Somebody took a hammer and broke the mirror. And now the picture that is shown to the world is brokenness. And then what happens in the gospel is those broken pieces get put back together and we're made right again in the picture of the gospel. Through our faith in Christ, this is what Jesus did. He came to live a life that you and I couldn't live. The life that you and I struggled to live every single day. He lived so that you and I could trust in Him. Be made right in Him and then live like Him, especially in our generosity, especially in our giving. Paul says, Our giving results in needs being met and thanksgiving to God being developed in others. You think one of the ways that we give thanks to God oftentimes is because of the things that we get. I got that new flat screen, I got a new pickup. I'm so thankful that God gave me those things. But Paul says, no. No, that's not the picture of what brings thanks to God in the Scriptures. The picture of what brings thanks to God is a mere reflection of God's giving. So You and I are enabled to give because we know that the results of our giving will be other people's needs being met as well as God being thanked. Paul continues to explain that the results of the Corinthians giving produces this. He says by their approval of this service, it will glorify God. It will glorify God. He's talking about other people, what other people will do when you and I give and other people glorify God. They don't glorify you or I. We don't give because we want other people's attention. We give because we want attention to be brought to our Father in heaven. But look at what Paul says. It will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the Gospel of Christ. Your submission that comes from your confession of the Gospel of Christ. If you are here and you, you confess Christ as your Savior, then what you're confessing is a submission to the Lordship of Jesus over your life. And you're saying, Jesus is King of my time, talent, and treasure. I have been knocked off my throne. I am no longer in charge of my life, but Jesus is. He is my King. And what you are now reflecting is that you are no longer in control to F up your life over and over again, but you are in control to maybe F it up over and over again while he is in charge and while you're continuing to submit and surrender to him. And then you in your contribution and generosity and giving are then adorning the gospel. You're putting clothes on the gospel itself. You say, I confess the gospel. I confess the good news. I confess that Christ is my king. I confess that I am no longer the king. I no longer submit to myself, but I now submit to Christ, my king who hung on the cross for me. I submit to him because he sacrificed for me. I can be a generous giver now because I serve the one who was more generous than any other. That's what you and I say. That's what our lives reflect. We give because he has given. So much it comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ. Does your life reflect the gospel that you claim to have believed? Does your life reflect submission to the King of Kings? It comes from your confession of the gospel. They will, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, the generosity of your contribution for them and for. Others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. As you give, you are not only reflecting the generosity of God and the goodness of the Gospel and the completeness of your life in Him and the sufficiency of Christ for you, but you are also modeling and reflecting the mere image of God in the Gospel. It's a picture of God Himself. It's not just the picture of what God has done for you. It's the picture of God Himself. You are now putting clothes on God, almost. And what happens as a result of that is you, you, are, you are motivating others to pray for you. Motivating others to pray for you and to long for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Final thing that Paul says when he wraps up his explanation of what the Corinthians giving would result in, is he simply says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. What is this inexpressible gift that Paul is talking about when he says, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift? For Paul, this is the final words of his uh, motivating and preaching and teaching and writing on giving generously. And as he says... Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He is wanting to draw the Corinthians' attention to what and to whom? Yours and I's attention should not be on our own giving or on someone else's giving. It should be on the gift of Christ at the cross. It's it's inexpressible. It's inexhaustible. You can't overspend it. You can't outspend God. It's not just you can't outgive Him. It's inexpressible. You cannot express. You cannot completely define. You cannot completely make sense of. It's why it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have faith in God, right? Doesn't it feel at times as though you've placed your faith in Christ and you, you wonder each day, does this make sense that I continue to follow after Him Will He really make me right? Can He really change my life? Can He really continue to provide? Is He really enough? And what Paul is saying is this. It's inexpressible, this picture of Christ on the cross. You and I can't explain it away. And that's what makes it so good. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our understanding. And it's beyond our expression. One of the greatest ways that we get to express the Gospel is In our giving. The question is, is, are you a person who's ready to give? Are you a person who understands the importance, the internal significance of your giving? And are you a person who understands the results of your giving as it results in the gospel being made clear to others around you and I? Let me pray as our music team comes forward. Father, we thank you for our time in scripture tonight and Lord, I do pray that you would uh, use the words of this message tonight, and use the words of this text to just continue to challenge our hearts uh, in the moments, in the in the days, and the hours, and in the weeks to come. And God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word uh, to these people, and I thank you for the opportunity to study your word throughout the week. Thank you for challenging us of what it means to be ready. Lord, I know that You were more than ready, more than willing, and more than cheerful to give Your Son for us. And I pray that if there is nothing else to happen in our hearts tonight, I pray that the one thing that happened was that we caught a great, big, grand picture of Your all-sufficiency in all things and all Your grace, all Your love for us. This inexpressible, inexhaustible, unexplainable nearly gift that You've given to us in Christ. Help us to see that, that Lord, we, we know that when You gave Your Son, You counted the cost. And you, you decided that, that there was nothing. There was nothing worth holding back. So that, so that in the Gospel and in the cross of Christ, You could save many. So that many of us who are far from You could come close to You. Lord, You have been so generous in Your gift towards us. I pray that you would help us to continue to catch that picture. And as we do, I'm going to pray that you would help us to return our affection, our desire back to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Hey, there will be a few of us uh, near the front to pray with you if you have any needs. And then as we close in worship, there will be a few of us near the front as well, serving communion. If you're here and you're a Christian, we invite you to come and celebrate communion with us. This is just the time when we remember this picture of the cross, the broken body, the shed blood of Christ. If you place your faith and your trust in Him, we we, we invite you to uh, to engage in this with us as a family, because the cross makes us family. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, we'd ask that you not take communion, as this would be kind of a meaningless thing to you. And we don't, we don't want anybody to just get into like uh, religious activity and rhythm. We want it to have meaning for you. So we're going to engage in communion. My prayer and my hope is that as you do this, you'd remember the picture of God who gave his son for you and I, this inexpressible gift, this picture of Christ at the cross and the empty tomb as we worship. Invite you guys to stand and worship and partake in communion. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from the well